0: Good morning. I love this church. I have had the best time. And I just want to say to Pastor Dan, thank you for this privilege. I do not take this lightly, that you would allow me to speak into the life of your your people here. And Becky, you are a delight. Barry and I were able to have dinner last night with Becky and Dan, and you probably know this, but he's this interesting combination of... Incredible wisdom and depth, and extreme goofiness. (laughs) It's just, it's brilliant. It's amazing, really. And yeah. (laughs) But it was interesting when I was listening to you share the vision, and there's something, there's something prophetic about the fact that this is happening next Sunday evening on September the 11th. If you ask most people in our nation, how do you remember September 11th? They will tell you that's the day when the buildings came down. I think there's something spectacular that if it becomes the will of the family here that you will remember September 11th as the day you decided that the buildings are rising up. I think that will be something. As Pastor Dan told you, I was born in Scotland, although Barry and I live in Dallas now. You can probably tell by my accent that I didn't start there. And one of the verses, it's actually two verses that I grew up with from just being a little girl in our little church on the west coast of Scotland was a very familiar text, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, I memorized that as a child. I have it underlined in my Bible. I've shared messages on it. But my question in the last year has been, Lord, what does that look like? You know, so often we can know The word of God, but we don't actually know how to apply the word of God to our absolute daily lives. And when I was thinking about being here this morning, I was thinking about um, my mom, the legacy of of my mother. We had an interesting childhood growing up on the west coast of Scotland. My father had a massive brain injury when I was five years old. And my father attempted to take my life before he took his own. Um, He died by suicide. He was taken off to a psychiatric hospital and managed to escape and drown himself in the river. And that left such a scar on my life because I was very much a daddy's girl growing up. Like my sister liked to do The pretty things that girls like to do. I would like to go to the men's retreat where you shoot guns and go fishing. (laughs) I've always been more of a tomboy, so I, I loved my dad. So as a child, I didn't understand that it was his brain injury that was responding to me. I'll never forget the last day I saw my dad alive. He had attempted to bring his cane down on my skull. And I don't remember if I pushed him or pulled the cane, but he lost his balance and lay on the ground just roaring like an animal. And before my mom was able to get me and my brother and my sister and lock us in a room while she called 911, I remember standing over my dad and looking in his eyes and all I saw was absolute hatred. And so I grew up thinking, if you got to the foundation stone of my soul, what it would read is there's something wrong with me. But the interesting contrast to that was the life of my mother. And so I I brought pictures of three things that I have of my mums that mean the world to me. The first is my mum's Bible. She was given this in 1942, when she was 12 years old. She was given it for um, first prize in a flower-pressing competition. (laughs) And the little Scottish bluebells are still inside the Bible. But the reason I treasure it so much is written in the backs inside cover in her 12-year-old handwriting She's written this, grace is undeserved favor. It is love stooping. And there's something about that that is such a powerful picture to me, that grace, the grace of God, we do not have to earn it. It's undeserved favor, love stooping. In Psalm 18 verse 35 we read, you give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. I was telling the girls um, this weekend that I spend a lot of time working with girls who are caught up in sex trafficking. In fact, back by the book table I have kind of T-shirts or sleep shirts that they make because I get to work with some amazing people. I mean, we literally will go in at midnight and break down doors and have the traffickers arrested. It's like, I love that, kicking down a door in Jesus' name or something about that. That's just a glorious thing. And then we bring these girls to a place called House of Destiny where they learn you are not a number to God. You have a hope And you have a future. So one of the things they do now is they make t-shirts for me. And you'll see if you buy one that the name of the girl who actually made the t-shirt, she's written it in her own handwriting. But when I was on my last trip in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, I had spent the morning with um, some of the families that live on top of a garbage dump. It's just, I've seen bad places around the world. This was definitely the worst. And after a few hours, I'd stepped back, and there was such a contrast in what I saw. Here you have abject poverty, filth, disease. And then right beside is this beautiful Buddhist temple, golden domes. And so I asked my translator, I said, please, can you arrange for me to speak to one of the priests? And this was my question. Do you ever think of taking some of the wealth that you have, and giving it to those who are literally dying on your doorstep. I held two children who died in my arms. And this is what he said, the poor do not deserve our help. If they will take the little they have and give it to us, then perhaps next time they will be reincarnated into a better life. It's, it's called karma. Grace is the antithesis of karma. We get what we do not deserve. Because of Jesus, his grace is lavished on us. I also think it's very interesting that so many religions demand that their disciples shed their blood for them. We are the only ones where our Savior shed his blood for us. Love is grace, stooping. One of the things that um, I realized I didn't sort my notes out last night. Oh, well, never mind. I'll sort them out now. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> There's a beautiful verse in um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. I love this. And it says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. How can a shepherd carry a lamb unless he stoops down to pick that one up? And that's what our Savior does for us. If you feel unloved this morning... Maybe you're even looking over everything that happened last week and you're like, you know what, Lord, I blew it again. I'm never going to change. How many chances are you going to give me? I want you to know that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. He was saying, bill paid in full. If you feel desperate, and I know what that feels like, At the same age as my father, when I was 34, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital, diagnosed with severe clinical depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'll never forget that first night, because I thought, I literally felt I'd gone to hell. If you've based your relationship with God on you getting everything right, and then you end up in a place that makes it clear that there's something seriously wrong, but I discovered that night the truth that David wrote about in Psalm 34 at one of the worst moments of his life. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I think we, des- we understand grace the most when we think we deserve it the least. I shared with the girls a story of bummer lambs which is when a ewe rejects a lamb and the shepherd has to carry that lamb into his house and feed the lamb and hold it close to his heart and then when it's big enough it can go back to the flock but then when the shepherd comes to the field at the end of the morning he'll call sheep 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 and the first ones to run to him are the bummer lambs because they know his voice and I will be a bummer lamb till the day I see Jesus face to face But it is not the bad news. It's the best news in the world. Does God love his bummer lambs more than the rest? Nope. It's just that we dare to believe that at our worst, the shepherd stooped down and picked us up and held us close to his heart. And we know his voice and we are not following anyone else. The other thing I wanted to show you that I brought of my mum's are the pearls that she wore on her wedding day. You can tell they're old. It comes from a little store in the town where we grew up in Scotland. The reason I love these so much is, I mean, I have the picture sitting on my desk of my mum and my dad on their wedding day, and mum has those pearls on. But the more I studied about pearls... I realized there's a profound spiritual lesson here. I don't know if you are aware of how a pearl forms. It's when a grain of sand gets inside an oyster and it irritates the flesh. So the oyster will coat that grain of sand with saliva, with calcium, and it can take up to three years, but a pearl is formed. So, a pearl is simply a victory over tribulation. A victory over tribulation. You know, this will probably not be any news to you if you've lived longer than 10 minutes. Life is full of irritations. And honestly, perhaps more now than ever, you have to be so careful about what you say to anyone or they're gonna be offended by it or cancel you. And I'm like, listen, Jesus canceled my dead at the cross. You're not canceling me. <laughs> but there's something about that truth because I saw that in my mom's life. She was only 33 when my father took his life by suicide. And I watched the struggles My brother and my sister and I, we were the poor kids in our school. We were the ones that got free school uniform and and free school meals. But I saw the faith of my mom. I mean, I would see one irritation come in after another, and she would just coat it in prayer. I realized my mom spent her whole life making pearls. I have had the privilege over the years of being very close to, to Billy Graham and his family, and Will Graham, his grandson, and his wife, Kendra, have a daughter who struggles with um, Asperger's, Asperger's syndrome, and so she struggles a little bit more. She also has dyslexia, so schoolwork can be really difficult for her. It takes her longer to do things than it takes most people and other children in the family. And one night they sat down and they were watching, um, it might have been on Discovery Channel, but it was life under the ocean. And the gentleman who was hosting it talked about pearls and talked about how pearls are made. Maybe a couple of weeks later, um, Kendra's doing some work and she hears her daughter in the other room getting absolutely exasperated trying to do this English project. It would have taken probably most of the other kids in the class maybe 20 minutes to do and she was on her second hour and the mum heard her take her pencil and throw it up against the kitchen window so Kendra said to her daughter, listen honey, just if you'll give me five minutes I'll come in and I'll help you finish your project but this eight year old girl said no it's okay, mom, I'm making pearls in here. I cannot begin to tell you how radical that is in my own life. It's like we either see everything that comes into our daily life as an irritation to complain about or something that we can quote in prayer and let God make pearls of our lives. Do you know, I think it's fascinating in the book of Revelation when it's talking about this new heaven and earth that those gates and every gate is made up of one pearl. One. Speaking to the suffering that Christ went through to make those pearls. I told you that I spent a month In a psych hospital, which was something that initially I was ashamed of. I remember I had been co-host of the 700 Club at the time. And the day I left, one of our senior staff said, Sheila, do not go. If people know that you've been in a psych hospital, no one will ever trust you again. You will never be special again. But I discovered that sometimes God will take you to a prison to set you free. And that's what he did for me. I remember one night, um, I was sitting in the corner of my room. I had a room to myself. It's kind of different, no locks on anything, you know. no proper mirrors or anything that you could hurt yourself with. And I was sitting in the corner of a room with a Bible and my notebook. And I was asking the Holy Spirit to help me separate what I'd believed all my life from what is true. Because I'd felt you know, I have to be good enough. Because if your own dad who once loved you could seem to hate you, that's got to be possible with God too. And as I began to wrestle with those things and write down everything that I had believed and then canceling it, I guess I must have been kind of talking to the Lord out loud, which isn't unusual in a psychiatric hospital, to be honest, but there you go. But one of the nurses came in and she said to me, Are you okay, Sheila? Can I get you something? And I looked at her and I said, I'm just making pearls. If we could get that. You see, God is sovereign. Nothing is going to happen to you or to me today or tomorrow that doesn't pass through His sovereign hands. Do we understand it all? Absolutely not. But is He God? Is He worth our trust? So I just encourage you, the next time that you find yourself irritated or frustrated, or you want to snap back at someone, remember this calling that we get to make pearls. The last thing is, um, I got a call about 4 o'clock in the morning. I hate when the phone rings in the middle of the night. I mean, nobody calls to tell you good news in the middle of the night. So the minute the phone rang, I knew something was wrong. And it was my sister, Frances, calling from Scotland to tell me that my mom had taken her last breath on this earth. And even though she was about to turn 88, I don't think you're ever quite ready to say goodbye to your mom. I mean, it just really broke my heart. So I booked a flight the next day to fly from Dallas to London and London up to Glasgow, Scotland. And when Barry's mum and dad died, he was born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. And traditions there, when someone dies, are very different than I'd experienced. You know, there was like an official viewing where people came to pay respects. There were enough casseroles to feed America. I have no idea what that's about. And then we would have, and we chose, you know, kind of beautiful casket. That Scotland, that does not happen. In Scotland, when you die, you're dressed in a simple robe, placed in a simple pine box, and that's it. But I wanted to see my mom one more time. Now, I knew she wasn't there. I knew my mum was home free. But I called the funeral home and I said, I realize this isn't normal, but is there any way I could see my mom? And they said, yes, we can do that. So I drove to this little funeral parlor, and I walked inside, and they said, she's in that room over there. And, And I walked in, and all I wanted to do was just kneel down and say, well done, Mom. Well done. You spent your life making pearls. My father was very violent with my mom and with me before he died. She never, for a moment, stopped believing that God is good and that God is in control. I was given the privilege of speaking at my mom's service. And it was a new pastor, I mean, not the pastor that I'd grown up with or that had known my mom well, but I decided I wanted to go in the morning before and make sure that the chairs were all laid out properly. And they'd laid out, I don't know, like 40 chairs. And I said to the pastor, I think you actually might need more than that. You know, my mom had a lot of friends and he was like, no, no, trust me, I've done several funerals here in the church, this is more than enough. And I said, actually, I think you might need more than that. And he was like, please trust me, I'm from Ireland. (laughs) Okay. And then he left. So I put out a hundred more chairs. It wasn't enough. The church was packed. The walls were lined. And my mum, she was this quiet, sweet. Do you know what I realized when I saw her in her casket? I realized my mum never wore makeup and I never noticed because she had such a lovely face. But I was able to give the eulogy, and then my mom had Alzheimer's the last two years of her life, and our church had done something that I thought was really special. They bought a large home in our town, and they converted it so that eight or ten members of our church community could be there in their last days, so that they'd be there with people they'd known all their lives, and our pastor would go in and do services, and it it was really wonderful. (laughs) Slight sidebar. The funny thing is when I was going through my mom's things, and she was very weak toward the end, she had to use one of those walkers, and I came across a sheet that she'd had to fill in, and it was like, you know, your favorite food, your favorite whatever, and then a line for, what would you like to see more of here? And she wrote, more international travel. (laughs) The dream was still alive. But my, So my sister and I were going through my mum's things, and Frances said to me, you know, Mum wants me to have her gold watch, but she wants you to have her engagement ring. Um, her wedding band had never been off her finger since the day my dad put it on. So I made sure that nobody touched that. So we found the watch, but we couldn't find the ring. So I said, well, I'll go and ask the matron. So I went and asked the matron. I said, do you have any idea where my mum's engagement ring is? And she kind of smiled, and she said yeah, there's a bit of a story there. And I said, oh, do tell. And she said, well, one night when all the patients were sitting in the lounge, your mum was sitting beside a lady whose son had visited and just bought her like a huge box of chocolates, like high quality Belgian chocolates. And your mum said to her, I'll swap you. And the woman said, okay, what are you going to give me? My mom said, my engagement ring for that box of chocolates. And the woman said, done. So the matron said to me, um, Sheila, don't worry, I can get it back. And I was like, no, if my mum enjoyed the chocolates like that, woman enjoy the ring. Because I only wanted one thing. All I wanted was this picture For as long as I have been able to read, that's been above my mom's bed all her life. She woke up every morning under that banner, yes, Lord. And she laid her head down on the pillow every night under that declaration, yes, Lord. And I used to tease her when I was a teenager. I would say, mom, you don't know what you're saying yes to. And she said, no, but I know who I am saying yes to. That's what I brought back. I have it tattooed on my wrist. Yes, Lord. There was a guy called Dag Hammarskjold. He was secretary of the United Nations. And he had an apartment in New York for whenever he was doing business there. And he kept a journal from the moment that he gave his life to Christ until the last entries, just a couple of days before he died. And it was eventually published. I have a copy. It's called Markings. And he wrote something in it toward the end of his life that I thought, that's huge. I don't know if I can pray that, but I wrote it in my Bible. He said, for everything that has been, thank you. And for everything that will be, yes. And I thought, Lord, for everything that has been, thank you. You know, my my father's suicide, the the years of of agony as a child, struggles with mental illness. And for everything that will be, yes. What if that means that something's going to happen to Barry? What if it means something's going to happen to our son, Christian? But I recognized there was something in the weight of those words that I wanted to be able to pray. And so I began just every day. And I realized it was never about me becoming a more spiritual woman or more of a woman of faith. It was all about coming to understand who he is. Jesus changes everything. I don't care what they say on the news, in the newspapers. I don't care who's in the White House. I know one thing for sure. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is in control. And I literally, I pray that every day. I get up under that wee picture now. And I say, yes, Lord. And I don't know what I'm saying yes to. But boy, I sure know who I am saying yes to. How would it impact every one of our lives if we determined from this moment on, I am going to live a yes, Lord, life? Our nation is in trouble. And sometimes when they look at us, we don't look that different. I love and. Peter's first letter where he says, always, not on Sunday morning, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. So for you and I, we should live lives that demand an explanation. My friend Sammy Rodriguez says, when you're a believer and you walk into a room, the atmosphere should shift because of who lives inside Of you. I want to um, finish my time this morning with a song that I got to record with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. I cannot imagine what that day will be like when we finally see Jesus face to face. But until then, we're given this privilege of worshiping. My mom's Bible teaches me that grace is undeserved favor. It's love stooping. Her pearls remind me to coat every irritation, every frustration with prayer. And the legacy she left on my heart is living a yes, Lord, life. And after this song, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to determine that today you're gonna draw a line in the sand and say from this moment on, yes Lord, how great thou art.